you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at www.livinghopechicago.com. We trust that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. Turn with me if you have a Bible to John chapter 14. We are talking about heaven today, and uh, we're in a series called Christianity 101. We're talking about the big beliefs and the big central truths of the Christian faith. And uh, last week we uh, started kind of a two-part series in this, uh, kind of a mini-series in this main series about the afterlife. What happens to us after we die? Where do we go after we die? Last week we talked about spending eternity separate from God in what the Bible calls hell, the place of eternal judgment. And this morning we are going to talk about spending eternity with God, the dwelling place of God that the Bible calls heaven. Starting the message earlier again this morning than normal because we have the wonderful privilege of baptizing uh, some believers today uh, who are professing their faith in Jesus. And I would encourage you to read, not now because we're right in the middle of the sermon, uh, but in a little while read the back of our bulletin because it talks about what our church believes concerning baptism. Actually, it talks about what the Bible teaches about baptism and uh, how it's unique and why we have that big, what my kids call swimming pool over there on the side and uh, why we go through all the trouble putting all that water in there to baptize people. Well, we do that because we believe that's the Bible way of doing it. Full immersion, right? Dead, buried, and risen again. And so that's why when these believers, like I did some years ago, was baptized, identifying with the fact that Jesus died for me, and also showing that I'm dead in Christ. Isn't that what the scripture says? Let's wake up this morning. Isn't that what the Bible says, you believers, that we're dead with Christ? We're buried with him and we're risen with him. And so that's what we're picturing when we baptize someone by immersion. So that is a great blessing. There's a little boy named Alex Malarkey. And uh, Alex was involved in a horrific car accident when he was six years old. There was a, a movie, a uh, book. Uh, all types of things that were published from this. It was called The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. He was in a coma for two months. When he came to, he said that he was escorted to heaven by angels and saw the face of Jesus. A book was published. A movie was in the works to be made, uh, sharing the testimony of little Alex uh, Malarkey. But there was only one problem that Alex later confessed to uh, several years later at the age of 16, that he had made the story up, that it wasn't true. And Alex came to really feel guilty about that. And he said this um, when he announced that the story was a fabrication. He said, I did not die. I did not go to heaven. I said I went to heaven because I thought it would get me attention. He went on to say, when I made the claims that I did... I had never read the Bible. People have profited from lies. He's saying this now as a 16-year-old teenager and continue to. They should read the Bible, which is enough. The Bible is the only source of truth. Now, the reason books like Heaven is for Real and The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven make a lot of money is because people really do want to know what happens to me when I die and what's heaven like and who goes there and what's life there going to be like. If you're going to build your beliefs concerning heaven on near-death experiences of people, I just want to warn you that you are setting yourself up for the possibility of deception. 
I'm not saying that every person's subjective experience before they die or these near-death experiences, I'm not saying there's no legitimacy to any of those. In fact, I believe there are some people who on their deathbed are describing scenes that are true and real scenes. But this is what I will say to you. Always, always, always gauge those subjective experiences by the truth of God's Word. Always. So anyway, any type of near-death experience or someone uh, telling some type of experience they've had, always judge it in light of the Bible. And I want to echo what Alex Malarkey said, and I want to encourage you, number one, to read the Bible, to know what the Bible teaches about heaven. And then number two, to be convinced like Alex is at this moment that the Bible is enough. The Bible's enough. And to rest your belief about heaven on Scripture. Look at me at John 14. John 14, page 793, I believe, if you're using one of the red Bibles. Jesus is talking to us about heaven. Now, the word heaven, heavens, or heavenly, those three words, heaven, heavens, heavenly, are used 705 times in the Bible. It's a lot. That is a lot of references to heaven. Heaven's an important theme in the Bible. And heaven's called a number of different words. I love the word that Jesus, or the words that Jesus used to describe it. He called it my father's house. He's talking about heaven. John 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You ever been anxious? Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, that is the Father, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He's saying, what I'm saying to you is true. I'm not leading you astray. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, the Bible tells us everything that we need to know about heaven, the dwelling place of God. We're going to look at a number of Scripture verses, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time in the book of Revelation. Because Revelation, one of the main themes of the book of Revelation, is heaven. So we're going to answer these questions. What's heaven going to be like? Who's going to be there in heaven? We're going to talk about why does heaven even exist? What's the purpose of this eternal dwelling place? We're going to answer all of these questions about heaven. I want to give you four truths this morning, and I've got to be fast because we need to baptize later today. So I'm going to try to go through these somewhat quickly. Four wonderful truths about heaven that the Bible tells us clearly about. Number one, I want to speak to you about what I call the bliss of heaven. The bliss of heaven. That is, heaven is a place of no sorrow, no pain, no sin. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Heaven is a place of no pain, no sorrow, no sin. On the other hand, heaven is a place of splendor and majesty. Turn with me to the very end of your Bible to Revelation 21. The last chapter in the Bible is Revelation 22. So we're going to go to Revelation 21. You have a Bible, turn with me, and you just go ahead and keep your place in Revelation because we're going to jump around and look at a number of different verses in this book. Um, But the book of Revelation, chapter 21, describes in detail the beauty, majesty, and bliss 
of heaven. And uh, it does it in vivid detail. I want you to look at verse 4. And when you're talking about the bliss of heaven, the first thing you have to talk about is what's not going to be in heaven. One of the things that makes heaven so uh, splendid and wonderful is what will not be there. Revelation 21.4. Notice what will not be in heaven. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Those are a few things that won't be in heaven. No death, no more funerals, no more pain. Can I hear an amen? amen. <laughs> I mean, that no more sickness. Colby is not here this morning. He's got a mild temperature. Carly had to miss school Thursday and Friday. Got a little bit of a, 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 a sickness a few days ago. None of that in heaven, great or small sicknesses. No sorrow, no crying. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There is going to be a day, if you're a believer, where you've cried your last tear and you'll never shed another one again for any reason, as there'll be no need to cry. That's what makes heaven, one of the things that makes heaven so wonderful what won't be there. But then let's talk about the beauty and the brilliance of heaven. I'm not going to read all these verses, but if you want to make note of Revelation 21, verse 10 through 21, it describes how that heaven will be adorned with all types of precious stones and stunning pearls and pure gold. You know what I love about one of the things that's so fascinating to me about heaven is in heaven, the streets are made of pure gold the walls are of jasper, and the gates are of pearl. Now, if it tells you anything about how magnificent heaven is, the thing that, that people covet for so much around here is walking material in heaven. Now, gold is what everyone gets their hands on. And gold is so expensive, that real gold, 24-karat gold. But it's pavement in heaven. It, it, it's, it's, it's what you walk on. And it shows us the magnificence and beauty and brilliance of heaven. A gates made of pearls and walls of stunning jasper. It truly is perfect paradise. I, I grew up in Oklahoma. I have uh, someone I used to attend church with uh, in Oklahoma that recently took a trip to Hawaii. was posting a lot of pictures on Facebook, making me jealous, I, of course. How many of you have ever been to Hawaii? I've never been. How many of you have been? Now, these are the people that we hate. That are, I'm just kidding right now. I'm just kidding. No, because you have been to the place we all want to go. No, it is. Uh, I, I've only seen pictures, but you ladies could tell us and others that it is a stunning place. My wife has been there before. She says it is amazing. I've never been, but every picture I've ever seen shows Hawaii to be a stunning place. We've, we've probably all have been at some point to a place that we thought, wow, look at that. This is beautiful. Maybe, it's, maybe you're a mountains person, maybe you're a beach person, uh, maybe you're a, I, I don't know, a city person, a, a, a countryside person. I don't know what you view as beautiful, but you've probably had a moment where you've been somewhere and you said, this is paradise. I want you to think right now maybe of your favorite vacation spot, a place, a place where you felt like, man, like your worries were a million miles away and you're just thinking, if I just stay here, I'm never coming back, I'm going to plant right here. And this is paradise for me. You know, the truth is, is that you and I, even the best experience that we've had, the most beautiful place, the reality is, is none of us have been anywhere near paradise. 
Because even when your cares were a million miles away, they were still there with you in reality. You still had in the back of your mind, I hope I lock the back door. You still had in the back of your mind, I hope the sump pump doesn't give out. You still had in the back of your mind, you know, I've got to get back to work. I hope one time I, uh, I was going on vacation and I had asked a couple people to cover base for me and, and to, to make sure and cover a couple of my responsibilities. And believe it or not, some people will tell you they're going to do things and they don't always do it. Isn't that shocking? Has that ever happened to you too? And I come back and I'm in a mess because my, uh, my boss is not happy because the people that were supposed to do my job did not do it. And here it is falling up on me because I guess I didn't pick the right people uh, to do uh, the job. So I don't know where you've been before, but you've still had some worries and cares. But can you imagine living in a place where you would never have another worry? You and I really can't fathom that type of place because we've never been able to experience it, but we will. And that's why we talk about the bliss of heaven. Warren Wiersbe said that heaven is not simply a destination, it is, but heaven is also a motivation. Heaven is not simply a destination, heaven is a motivation as well. What do we mean by that? Well, the hope of heaven enables us to endure the suffering and pain of this life. Now, track with me on this, follow with me on this. When you have the hope of living in perfect paradise with no pain, no death, no sorrow, no crying, that enables you to face the trials of this life with hope. Because you know this is not the end of the journey. I'm convinced that believers and unbelievers should respond totally different to trials. You know why? And I was, Liz and I were talking about this this morning. She had to uh, go to an appointment today, but she was here for our Bible study. And she has a friend, as I mentioned in prayer, uh, that was burned uh, badly in a fire recently. This is a a believer, uh, and he is going through this with uh, trust in God in the midst of it. And you know why he is? Because he, he may never fully heal from his burns. He has third degree burns, very serious burns. He may never fully heal from these burns. But his hope is not all resting in this life. Believers and unbelievers respond to trials differently. Why? Because unbelievers have all their hopes placed in this life. And if they get sick, and if they develop an incurable disease, and if something goes wrong in their body, everything falls apart because they say, I got this. They may not say it verbally, but they, I got this one shot. And now I got to spend 20 years sick. And now I got to spend 30 years as a diabetic. And now I got this injury. And now I got that. And now my knee's giving out. And everything's falling apart. But believers shouldn't respond that way. Believers shouldn't respond that way. Believers should respond with hope in God because I'm going to live forever. Because one day I'm not going to have this pain. This pain is temporary. This suffering is not forever. The suffering we experience on earth is temporary, but the bliss that awaits believers in heaven is eternal. And you can find out real quickly where people stand on this issue based upon how they respond to trials. If they view all their eggs are in this one basket of this life, or if they say, I can deal with a little bit of pain and suffering and sorrow, or a great deal of if, if need be for a time because I'm going to a perfect place. Can I say kindly this morning, let's stop complaining. Let's stop complaining about how bad we have it. Let's stop being so negative. Let's stop acting like this life is all we have because it's not if you're in Christ. And if I'm in Christ, it's not 
all we have. We have reason to joy and hope in our trials because these are simply temporary. And the glory that awaits is eternal. And so we can set our sights upon a better country, as Scripture tells us. Number two, the citizens of heaven. The bliss of heaven, it's a place of no sorrow, pain, but of beauty and splendor. The citizens of heaven. Heaven's a place for God's children, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The Bible describes the people who will be dwelling in heaven as citizens. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. I love that. God says that he's preparing for his people a city in heaven because they are citizens. And the moment that you trust Christ as your personal Savior, you become a citizen of heaven, although you're not living there now. If you're a believer, you are presently have your citizenship in heaven. That's why Scripture calls us strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Strangers are away from home. Pilgrims are headed home. And you and I are citizens who are believers of heaven. The citizens of heaven. They're God's children. Well, what else do we know about these citizens from heaven? Let me give you a few things. Well, Revelation 5, 9 tells us that they're going to come from every nation. Every tribe and tongue and kindred, Scripture says. Heaven citizens will not just be Americans, will not just be Asians, will not be for just Africans, no, will not just be for Europeans. They'll be from all nations of the world who will be joining together, who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. What else do we know about them? Revelation 9, 7 says that they are innumerable. So much for uh, the false teachers that say that there is a uh, certain number that are going to be in heaven. The, what is it, the 124, is it? 144, excuse me, 144,000, uh, not according to Scripture. That's not a biblical truth. Look right here, just for a second. It's not a biblical teaching when they say that only 144,000 people will be in heaven. Because I can show you many places in the book of Revelation where it says the host of heaven cannot be numbered. In fact, let me read that to you just so you don't take my word for it. Look at Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Revelation 7, 9 says, And... After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and with palms in their hands. There's other passages as well, too. What else do we know about heaven? Well, it says that the citizens of heaven have a specific place prepared for them, John 14 tells us. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. That is a specific place. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. A specific place. What else do we know about these citizens? Well, these citizens have their names recorded in what the Scripture calls the Book of Life or the Lamb's Book of Life. So in other words, there's a role, an attendance role of all the citizens of heaven whose names are recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, and it's the Lamb's Book of Life which distinguishes those who will be granted entrance into heaven from those who will not be granted entrance into heaven. Revelation 20, 15 and Revelation 21, 27 talks about those whose names are written in the Book of Life. Jesus told His disciples, Jesus gave His disciples power to over demons and to be able to heal people and to cast out demons. You know what? They came back and they said, 
Lord, this is amazing. They said the demons are subject to us. We're healing. We're delivering people. And Jesus said something very interesting to me. Let me read to you exactly what he said. Luke chapter 10 and verse 20, he says, Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits or the demons are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He said that's the real reason to rejoice. Written in heaven. Written where? Written in the Lamb's book of life. Written in the book of life. Recently, I took part in an event that you had to be registered in order to participate. I stood in a long line for well over an hour waiting to get up there uh, to take part in this event. I get there. I I go to the registration table. Uh, They ask for my name and information. I gave them my name, and they say, your name's not on here. I don't see your name anywhere. I said, but I I pre-registered. I'm I'm ready for this. And my my heart sunk as they told me that they couldn't find my name here. But finally, to my delight, after several minutes of searching and my heart beating out of my chest, thinking I stood in this line this whole time, or nothing they said yeah here it is here it is here it is i found it i found i was able to go after all but for a few minutes i thought i was in a mess now there's not going to be any of that in heaven god's not going to be well what's your name again let me make sure it's on here no he's going to know but my point in saying all this is friend if if your name's not in the lamb's book of life you will not be allowed entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Write this in your notes if you're taking notes. It wasn't original with me. I'm not sure who it's original with, but heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. When I was a kid, we used to sing a song in the hymn book called, Oh, Prepare to Meet Thy God. Why wait and why tarry? Oh, prepare to meet thy God. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Have you made your reservations, so to speak, for heaven? How are you going about reserving your place in heaven? Because we're about to have a baptism, and I promise you, the ladies that are being baptized, this is not reserving their place in heaven because they've been baptized. And if anyone is depending upon their baptism or your confirmation or your church membership or your good works, Or that I'm a good person. I'm a good citizen. I've never hurt anybody. And that's what you're trusting in for your eternal life. You don't have reservations. You're not prepared to meet your God. If you are prepared, if you are a citizen of heaven, can I ask you this question? Are you living like it now? Are you living now like a citizen of heaven? You say, what do I mean by that? Well, in Hebrews 11, it says that Abraham and his family lived on the earth like strangers and pilgrims because they were seeking a better country. That means they were not focused on the here and now. They were focused upon seeking God and living their lives for Him. Their citizenship was in heaven. And what country are you and I living for? I mean, what, what really? What are our priorities? Are we living for this life? Are we living for the life beyond? Are we laying up treasure in heaven or are we laying it here on earth? Jesus, uh, the Bible tells us in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, if ye be risen with Christ, that's what baptism pictures, by the way, risen with Christ. If ye be then risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ 
sitteth on the right hand of God. Then notice this, verse 2. Set your affections on things above and not on things of this earth or of the earth. Where are your affections? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your heart? Is it there or is it here? The citizens of heaven, their heart, their treasure, their love is there. This is temporary life. C.S. Lewis says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. But aim at earth and you get neither. Isn't that great? Aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Well, what do you mean by that? Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be, happy, uh, will, will, will be added unto you. You know, people that live for just this life, they end up, it's like a mirage. They can never get their hands around it. They can never get their hands around happiness. You know any friends like that? They're always trying to be happy. Next job, next relationship, next thing, next house, next, next, next. And next never comes. It's like the Cubs, right? Always next year. Always next year. Always next year. Hey, next year has come, folks. Next year is now. I'm just kidding. Um, But he says, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. What do you mean by that? When you live for Christ and you live for him and you set your affections on things above, you enjoy life with God here on this earth. Your needs are met. Your family is blessed. You enjoy him even through the difficulties of life. Number three, the activity of heaven. Well, what's going on in heaven? Well, heaven's a place of worship, of fellowship, and service. What will be going on in heaven? What are people doing there? What will they be doing there? Well, if you read through the New Testament, you'll find uh, and come to understand that the activity in heaven is threefold. The activity in heaven could be included in worship, in fellowship, and in service. If you read through the book of Revelation, you'll find the reoccurring theme, or excuse me, the reoccurring scene of God's people kneeling before his throne, singing and praising and worshiping him. I'm not going to go through all of these verses with you, but I'll give them there for you to write down if you'd like. But Revelation 4, 6 through 11, Revelation 5, 9 through 14, Revelation 7, 9 through 12. All of these are different scenes of what's going on in heaven. And what's going on there is they are singing and blessing the name of God. It says in Revelation 7, 9, No man could number of all nations, tongues, kindred, people, stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. Look at verse 12, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. What are they doing in heaven? They are singing and blessing and praising and honoring and giving thanks to the name of God. What else are they doing in heaven? Well, they're fellowshipping in heaven. They're fellowshipping in heaven. Turn to Revelation 19. I I do want to read this one to you. What's happening in heaven? You see the scene of fellowship in heaven. This is what we see taking place. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 5 gives us the picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19 verse 5 says, Praise our God, all ye His servants, and ye that fear Him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, 
For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Do you see that the picture here is the picture of a banqueting feast? It's the idea of sitting around the table of God, feasting at this marriage supper of the Lamb. And Revelation 21, 3 tells us that God will tabernacle with men and that God and men will dwell together. God and His people will dwell together. The other activity in heaven is serving God in heaven, worshiping God, fellowshipping with God, serving God in heaven. In Revelation seven fifteen through 16, let me read this to you. Revelation chapter 7 Revelation 7, verse 15 says, Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. So again, it says they shall serve the Lord. Verse 15, therefore, as before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Turn to Revelation 22, verse 3. We're talking about what happens in heaven. Revelation 22, 3 says, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. Serving God in heaven. Let me give you the final truth from this passage of scripture. That we see. We've talked about the bliss of heaven. We've talked about the citizens of heaven. We've talked about the activity of heaven. And now let's talk about finally the purpose of heaven. The purpose of heaven. Heaven is a place created for the glory of God. Heaven is a place created for the glory of God. Let me give you one last scripture verse. Look at Revelation 21, verse 10 and 11. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Having the glory of God. What do we mean that heaven is a place for the glory of God? The Bible tells us that every person who will dwell in heaven will be dwelling in heaven to give glory unto God. Heaven will stand as an endless testimony to the glory of God. Heaven is an endless testimony to His grace and mercy in redeeming sinners. His righteousness, His holiness, His power in banishing all that is wicked and evil. Heaven, quite simply, the purpose that God has for creating heaven is to glorify His name. I read this week about this city. It's called the Forbidden City in Beijing, China. Anyone ever, I know we've had a lot of people have traveled. Have you been there before? I was wondering, you've been there? I would love for you guys to tell me sometime a little bit about it because I would love to see it after reading about it this week. So if I'm wrong about some of this, tell me later. Um, But uh, I've read this week that the Forbidden City in the heart of Beijing uh, was the Chinese Imperial Palace for nearly 500 years. And uh, it's really a remarkable thing. It consists of 980 buildings... And it covers 180 acres. It's estimated that 1 million workers were needed to build the complex 
and it was meticulously planned down to the smallest detail. It was built so massive and beautiful as to represent the power and glory of uh, the emperor. Each um, emperor that would rule over the empire of China. I'm just looking at this. Why was this designed? There was numerous purposes for it, but one was to show the glory and the power and the magnificence of the empire. In fact, if you travel the world, and I've been to a few places around the world and seen some palaces and castles and so forth, why are any of those ever built? Well, they're built as fortresses. They're built um, to protect. They're built to house the um, emperor and all of his uh, royal leadership. But even in our day and age, even uh, our presidential residents in the U.S. and other countries that build a, a, a presidential residence, what, what's the purpose in it? One of the purposes is always to display the power, to display the glory, to display something about those that will be living there in that particular structure. The scripture tells us that kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. But God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, will never fall. Psalm 104 verse 31 says, The glory of the Lord shall endure forever, and the Lord shall rejoice in His works. Revelation 11 verse 15 says, And there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Do you see what all this means? It means that every kingdom that has existed or that currently exists or that ever will exist, exist, one day will all be brought under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And all the kingdoms of the world shall become the kingdom of our Lord, that is God in heaven and his Christ, that is Jesus. What a truth that we have, that heaven was a place created for the purpose of God glorifying His name by the redeemed ones that He brings into it, but also its beauty and its magnificence and its eternality that it will never fall. It's a kingdom that shall never end. It shall remain and reign forever and ever. And you and I that know Christ are on the winning side. We are on that winning side. And we ought to be praying the last prayer that you find in the book of Revelation, found in Revelation 22 and verse 20, which says, Even so come, Lord Jesus. As we come to a close this morning, I've, I've said this before. If you've heard this before, bear with me. But the Bible says that there are three heavens. There's the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven. The first heaven is the atmospheric heaven. Uh, that is the, uh, where the birds fly, where the clouds suspend in air, the firmament, as the scripture even calls it. The second heaven is the celestial heaven. That is um, outer space, where the sun, the moon, the stars, and planets dwell. And the third heaven is where God dwells. It's the place that we've been talking about today. And someone once said that we see the first heaven at day when we go outside and it's bright and clear and you can see the birds flying and the clouds in the air. You see the second heaven at night when you walk out and you can see the stars shining and the beauty of 
outer space. And then he went on to say brilliantly that you see the third heaven by faith, by faith. What do you mean by that? He means that the only way to ever go there and see it and enter it is by faith. You'll never see it. You see the first heaven at day, you see the second heaven at night, but you see the third heaven only by faith. And that's exactly what Jesus told a very religious man in John 3, verse 3 through 5. The man named Nicodemus, Jesus said, you cannot see and you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. Only those who are born again will enter and see the kingdom of heaven. Now is the time to make our preparation for heaven. Because when a person dies, it's too late. There's no possibility of changing your eternal destiny when you take your final breath. Are you going to heaven? The second question is, now is the time to lay up treasure in heaven and to seek those things which are above. And here's a a good question for you and I to end this sermon on today who know Christ as Savior. If you really claim to know Him, if we really claim to know Christ and be citizens of heaven, who are, who's going to heaven because of you and because of me? And what I mean by that is we know everyone who gets to heaven gets there because of Christ and not us. But God uses people to reach people. God uses us to lead others to Christ. So who will be in heaven because God worked through you to lead them to Jesus Christ? Do you have anyone? Do you have anyone that's going to be a resident and a citizen of heaven because God worked through you, because God spoke through you, because God spoke through me and God worked through me. And so now he used me, he used you to lead someone to repent of their sin, to trust Christ as Savior. And so now when we stand before God, not only are we going to heaven, but we can thank him that we have others that he's used us to bring along with us. The Bible uses this analogy in reference to this truth I'm talking about of gathering up sheaves in the harvest that you would go into the field when it's harvest time and you would pick up the harvest and you would put it in a basket and you would carry it with you home. The idea of being a witness and a soul winner and reaching people and evangelism is that idea of those that God uses to take with us. I hope you do like this analogy of this truth because it's a biblical truth. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you to be what? Fishers of men. Fishers of men that you catch in the net and that you bring back. That's the idea. Now it's God that does it. I know that. Don't argue with me about that. It is God that does it. But God uses a fisherman or a fisherwoman. Is that how you say it? Fisher, <laughs> right, yeah. The man, the woman that he uses to bring those people to Christ. How many fish have you caught? How many fish you got in your net? God, they're there because of God. But he's using your hands. Hold that net. God help us not to have a church of people that are not fishers for humanity. If you committed your life to Jesus Christ today or made a spiritual decision, if you'd like to know about it, please contact us online at www.livinghopechicago.com. We hope you will join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.